Thank you very much. It's certainly a pleasure to join you this evening. The time, of course, as you know, is Erev Yom HaKippurim. It's a time of seriousness, a time of tshuva, but also a time of simcha and joy. You know that the Gemara tells us in Sochim Adav Kuvtes that three times the year on Pesach, Shuas and Sukkot were obligated to rejoice. The Torah tells us, V'samachta b'chagecha. How is it that ideally we rejoice? Normally speaking, we have a Beisamikdash, we ascend to Yerushalayim and we offer Karbanos. Finding oneself literally in the presence of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, that is ultimate simcha. And yet, Rabbi Yudim Bebesera comments, what about Bizman Hazeh? We don't have a Beisamikdash, Ein Simcha Elabiyayin. We're forced to rejoice on Yantif in other ways. By having a festive meal, the Rambam tells us in Perakuvavazochasyantif, Ein Simcha Elabibasavayayin, meat, wine, those are tools, vehicles, in order to elicit a certain sense of Simcha. There is a dispute between the Rambam and Tosus, in fact, whether Simcha in our time is a mitzvah in HaTorah or whether it's only Midrabanon. When you have a Beisamikdash, that is the pristine form of celebration. Beisamachta Bechagecha. Tosus writes, in our time, without a Beisamikdash, Simcha is only a rabbinic institution, a mitzvah de Rabbanon. And yet the Rambam disagrees. The Rambam writes in Perak, even without a Beisamikdash, one is capable of rejoicing to capture the essence of each Yantif, Pesach, Shavuos, and Sukkot. These are times of abundant joy. And yet, during this time of year, it evokes the question, what about Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur? Is that considered to be a time of Simcha? Technically speaking, is there a mitzvah to rejoice on these days? Or does one argue that no, these are days of Ema, Bethachad, days of awe and reverence, and therefore rejoicing somehow is out of place. The Rambam seems clear that there is a mitzvah of Simcha even on Rosh Hashanah and Yom HaKippurim. The Rambam in Perak Vav and the Rambam in Perak Gimel as well. The Rambam stresses the obligation of reciting Hallel. Why is it that Hal is not recited during the time of Rosh Hashanah or Yom Kippur? The Gemara tells us in Erechin and Afyud, Sifrei Chaim Umeisim Suchim Nafanai. HaKadosh Baruch Hu says it's a time of judgment. Literally, the books of life and death are open before me. Va'atem Omrim Shira. Is it a time that you celebrate and you rejoice? But yet the Rambam teaches us that don't leave that Gemara and think that these days are void of Simcha at all. That certainly is not the case. There is a mitzvah of Simcha even on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur as well. But yet the Rambam writes, Einam Yemei Simcha Yaseira. It's not a time of abundant joy. But yet there is a mitzvah of Simcha. We know Rahman al-Islam, if a person is in Avelus, in Shiva, and all of a sudden Rosh Hashanah or Yom Kippur commences, that ends the Avelus. That's not true of Shabbos. That's only true of Yantif. Tosus explains that Simcha and Avelus cannot coexist. And the fact that there's no Avelus on Rosh Hashanah or on Yom Kippur seems to point to this concept that there is a mitzvah of Simcha even during these days. It's a time of Einam Yemei Simcha Yaseira. There isn't abundant overflowing joy, but yet there are elements of Simcha, a tempered experience that we celebrate during this time. The Mechaber tells us, for example, in Tavkov Tzari Zayin, 
Ochlin Vishosin Usmechin Barashashana Vein Misanin. It's appropriate to eat, to drink, and to be festive on Rosh Hashanah. And even on Yom Kippur, certainly there's no obligation of eating and drinking. But one of the reasons the Nitziv points out that we're obligated to have a festive meal, a Suda on Erev Yom Kippur, is not just simply preparation. Eat on one day because you must fast the next. But rather, if every Yontif we celebrate physically by having a festive Suda, this is even true in a certain sense, not on Yom Kippur, but a special Suda Mitzvah prior to Yom Kippur itself. In fact, Rabbi Kivega discusses, let's assume a person is ill, and they're not fasting on Yom Kippur. But nonetheless, isn't it appropriate for them to have a special Suda, an Erev Yom HaKippurim, to mark the fact that this is a Yontif, among the festival days of the year. It gives rise, of course, to the following question. In what sense do we celebrate Rosh Hashanah or Yom Kippur? After all, if these are considered to be days of aim of Afachad, days in which we are fearful, days in which we tremble, a time of din, how is it that one celebrates at this particular time? Just as we don't recite Hallel, why is it that there are elements of Simcha on this particular day? Apparently what you see is that Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur are a balance, a sense of dialectic. On the one hand, a person has to rejoice and balance that experience with also a sense of seriousness of the day. This, as you know, we experienced last week in the mitzvah of Tkiah Shofar. There are various kolos, various sounds that we hear that are reflected in this mitzvah Shofar. A Tkiah, and of course, a shvarim shua followed by a tkiah. Tkiah always represents simcha. We recite in the davening and tefilas musaf. Tekab b'shofar gadol esrirusenu uviyom simchaschem uvmoadechem uvroshechadshechem utekaten. Tkiah is supposed to symbolize abundant joy. But what about the broken sounds? The shvarim and the trua. Here the Gemara tells us Yom Shui Elachem. The Gemara writes Rosh Hashanah Daf Lamedal Rabbeis means Yom Yevavia Elachon, a day that a person breaks down and cries. And just as crying can take the form of moaning sounds, Gnuche Golach, of broken spurts of Yulule Yalil, that is why we sound the Shvarim and the Truva. That balance. Itkia shvarim truatkia is not only true of the mitzvah of shofar, but rather it reflects the very essence of these days. Simcha, but also elements of bechia, of crying. The reason the Gemara tells us Rosh Hashanah that a shofar is to be bent is because koma de kayif inish It's supposed to resemble a person who bends, who humbles himself. In the presence of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Rashi writes, B'tfilasa. That is a reflection of the seriousness of this time. So on the one hand, you don't recite Hallel. On the other hand, there's an element of Simcha. You wear appropriate fine clothing, and at the same time we don't recite Moadim Simcha Chagim Uzmanim Nasasam. The balance of the opportunity of Tshuva, but also the seriousness of that mission that we experience at this time of year. The fact that Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur are considered to be serious times of Yamim Noraim, times of Bechia, of crying, days of Eim of Afachad, is readily understood. 
After all, if indeed it is considered to be a Yom Hadin, it elicits, it evokes a serious response, one of trepidation, one which is humbling. We understand that we blow a Shvarim in Shua. But in what sense is there a mitzvah of Simcha during this time? In fact, the Rosh, in the very end of Masechus Rosh Hashanah, quotes the Yerushalmi, Umi ka'amcha Yisrael ga'echad ba'aretz. The Jewish people are unique. And the Yerushalmi asks, Give me one example of the uniqueness of our people. And the Yerushalmi answers, It is the way that we celebrate a Yom Hadin. Others, a Yom Hadin is a fearful time of Avelos. But for us, no Avelos, it's a day of Simcha, it's a time that we rejoice. But how is it that we rejoice during a Yom Hadin? And the answer is understanding the unique relationship that we have with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. After all, whether a Yom Hadin is something that we are fearful of, or whether it's something that we anticipate, depends who it is that we are standing before in judgment. If it's a Kel Rachum V'chanun that we invoke in Yidro Midas, if HaKadosh Baruch Hu promises us that He will acknowledge our efforts and invoke with loving kindness and mercy Midas HaRachamim, then the tshuva process is not one that we fear, but rather it's one that we embrace. How is it that we begin Yom Kippur? We recite the bracha of Shechianu. Tulsus points out in Sukkadaf Memvav, Shechianu is only on a mitzvah, Sheyesh Simcha. When a person's heart is gladdened, then you recite a bracha of Shechianu. And Brismila Tulsa says you don't recite Shechianu because there's a measure of pain that the child experiences. Only on Simcha does that invoke the bracha of Shechianu v'kimanu v'yiganu l'zman hazeh. There's a mitzvah, but the Gemara tells us in Yom of Tosefes Yom HaKippurim. We're obligated to begin Yom Kippur early. Yom Kippur, of course, falls on the 10th of Tishrei. But the Torah tells us, V'inisim esnaf shalseichem batishalachodesh ba'erev. Already on the 9th, toward evening, a person is obligated to begin the fast of Yom Kippur. This is a Torah obligation, as the Gemara tells us, Niyuman daf pe'alef and beitzan daf lamed, Tosefes Yom HaKippurim, to begin Yom Kippur early. Those who recite Tfilah Zaka, you recite as part of that Tfilah, Behinani Mekabalatzmi Kedushas Yom HaKippurim. I accept upon myself, even during the day, that now it is Yom Kippur, at least several minutes before sunset. We anticipate, we accept upon ourselves the fact that it is Yom Kippur. If it's really only Yom Hadin, it seems striking. You begin with Shechianu, you begin the day earlier than usual, somehow the natural response is to avoid a period of judgment, somehow to delay that experience. The Gemara tells us, If Tisha B'Av, for example, should fall out on a Shabbos, you can't fast on Shabbos. You can't fast at an earlier time. Pranios is something which is always delayed. The Tainus is deferred until Sunday. And yet, when it comes to Yom Kippur, we embrace the opportunity. Because the definition of Simcha is being in the presence of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. lifnei Hashem Anyantich, how do we do so? You have a Beis HaMikdash. You go to the Beis Hashem. You find yourself in the presence of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. That is ultimate Simcha. 
The Gemara tells us this is true of a Kohen Gadol each and every day of the year. Because the Kohen Gadol always finds himself in the Mikdash Hashem. The uniqueness of Yom HaKippurim is even without a Beis HaMikdash, even without the Avodah, even in our time, the Torah tells us, Lifnei Hashem Titaru. A person has an opportunity to literally find themselves in the presence of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. The Pasuk of Dirshu Hashem Bihimatzah, Seek out HaKadosh Baruch Hu when He can be found. The Gemara tells us in Rosh Hashanah, Elo Asara Yamim Sheben Rosh Hashanah Yom HaKippurim. This is a reference to Asara Simei Tshuva. If HaKadosh Baruch Hu tells us that particularly at this time, I am there, I am waiting to grant Mechila Slichul Chapara, that is not an opportunity that is purely one of trepidation and fear, but that is an experience that we await that we look forward to, that we embrace, we recite the brach of Shechianu, we begin Yom Kippur early, in order to realize that if we take advantage of this experience, of the Tzimel Shoyom, the essence of this day, that will give rise to the ultimate Simcha. Simcha means being in the presence of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Perhaps one could suggest on other Yomim Tovim, it's necessary to be Ola Regel, to ascend to Yerushalayim, to go to the Beis Amigdash. But yet, when it comes to Yom Kippur, wherever you find yourself, Lifnei Hashem Titaru, a person is in the presence of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. That is the uniqueness of this time. That is the unique experience of Tshuva that envelops this entire day. We relate to HaKadosh Baruch Hu on both of these levels. We always recite Avinu Malkeinu. We relate to HaKadosh Baruch Hu as a king, as a melech, but also as a parent. You know, there's a marked difference between a parent as opposed to a king or queen. A parent will do anything for their child. Are they willing? The answer is obviously yes. You know what the difficulty is? Is a parent able? A parent can't always provide for all the needs of a child. A king represents one who certainly is able if the king desired, he certainly could. But you know, a king is not always interested in the well-being of each individual subject. That is the balance of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Avinu Malkeinu means HaKadosh Baruch Hu is the Melech Malchim Lachim who is omnipotent, omniscient, who is capable of everything. But also, he is a parent, he is our father, who will do anything for us, as a parent does for a child. And therefore, this is what we cite to Avinu Malkeinu. That is, in kibanim, in ka'avadim. The greatest schus is being not only a child of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, but also being an evid, being a slave, being a servant to Hashem. The greatest praise of Moshe Rabbeinu was, Lo kein avdi Moshe b'chobesi nemanu. Moshe Rabbeinu was the evid Hashem. You know, the Mishnah tells us in Gittin Dafir Aleph, normally it is to a person's detriment to be an evid. It is considered to be to his betterment that he is free, that he is a Ben-Chorim. We apply the technical principle of Zachim, Adam Shalobifanov. And Evid doesn't have to be here. But if I will pay his master to have him freed, if I will deliver that document, that Shtar Shikhr, even without an Evid being present, he is emancipated. Isn't it necessary for him to be there? The Mishnah tells us, certainly not. Zachim, Adam Shalobifanov. 
It's a schus for a person to be a Ben Chorin. It is considered to be detrimental to be an Eved. And therefore an Eved can be freed even without the Eved being aware or being present at that moment. This is true when it comes to being an Eved of Basav Adam. But not true when it comes to being an Eved Hashem. That is our greatest privilege. To be able to serve HaKadosh Baruch Hu with all of our heart as an Eved is able to serve his Master. That is Avdus, not Miira, but rather that is Avdus, which is Me'ava. You know, the Torah tells us in Parshas Mishpatim the following story. That imagine a person is considered to be an Eved. And his term of slavery is for six years. And now, finally, the time of emancipation arrives. And yet the Eved decides to remain. What is it that you do to the Eved? You pierce his ear and he serves until Yovel. You're familiar with what Rashi tells us on the Apostle, the Gemara and Kedushin. Why is it that the ear is pierced? Of everything that is done to that Eved, why is it that Ritzia, piercing, is necessary? It must be somehow, as the Gemara tells us, that the Eved failed to hear, to internalize a cardinal lesson, and therefore that warrants that consequence of Ritzia. What is it that the Eved failed to hear? The Gemara has two possibilities. One is the following, Ozen Shashamalo Signov. How did this person become an Eved? He stole, he wasn't able to pay back, and therefore, Machruhu Bezdin, he was sold into Avdus in order to pay back his debt. Ozen Shashamalo Signov. Didn't he hear? He wasn't supposed to steal. And Vaholavzev Aganav, and nonetheless he did so, Yiratzev, his ears should be pierced. A second possibility the Gemara mentions, that Ozen Shashama didn't this person hear that you're only supposed to be an Eved of HaKadosh Baruch Hu? And yet, and he went, and now he acquired another master, his ear is pierced. Two very different reasons for piercing the ear. With an obvious difference, is the piercing of the ear only when he stole and is sold into slavery? Or even when he sold himself, when he opted in to Avdos? But I'll ask you a very simple question. I understand what the Gemara tells us. You pierce the ear because of his transgression. But you know what troubles me? The timing. The timing of the Ritzia. This person should not have stolen anything at all. And he did so. When did he steal? Now. Years later. He stole years ago. And yet the ear is pierced now. He shouldn't have sold himself into slavery and therefore his ear is pierced. When did he do so? At this moment? Certainly not. Years ago. Why the time delay? Why is it that Ritzia is years later and not at the time that the person stole or not at the moment that a person sold himself into slavery? A couple of possible answers. The Maril Diskin explains the following. Why is it Ozen Shashamalo Signov? He stole years ago and you pierce the ear now? The answer Mao Disman suggests is the following. A person stole. And what was the consequence? What was the punishment? 
The answer is Avdus That this individual had to serve as an Eved But it's an important lesson for this time of year You know that sometimes a person experiences Rahman Sometimes a person can go through a difficulty in life It's important to realize that that is not capricious That is not random That is not incidental But rather that is a direct result Of the Ratzon Hashem And a person has to see it as such A person has to recognize What is happening to himself And use that as an opportunity to redirect And to better himself What happened in this particular case? An Eved committed a terrible hate He stole And what was the punishment? He was sown into slavery And all of a sudden what happens? The sentence comes to an end The time now has arrived that he can become free And all of a sudden he responds He wants to opt in He wants to remain in Eved You know what the problem is? What was supposed to be viewed as an Onesh All of a sudden became an ideal Maral Diskin writes, when that occurs When somehow we don't see something as an Onesh of HaKadosh Baruch But rather we see it as normal existence Then Rachman al-Atzman it's necessary to receive another wake-up call Another punishment In order to realize that yes That there is something that a person is obligated to do tshuva for This is especially relevant today for us In terms of Golos Kodesh Baruch Hu allows us, especially in our society, to be able to thrive despite the fact that we don't have a Beis HaMikdash and we're living in a time of dire Golos. But it's very easy that a person could confuse Golos with an ideal. Even though in davening, but nonetheless a person can somehow think that our lifestyle with Baruch Hashem all of the freedoms that we have, not merely to survive, but to thrive as Bnei Yisrael, somehow we can think that this is an ideal, and no longer yearn for the coming of Mashiach, no longer properly be mitzapali Yeshua. In other generations, it may have been difficult for them to experience chirus of a Pesach Seder. For us, it's hard to relate to Tishabah, because after all, we are able to experience the chesed of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, even in Golos. And yet as a result, sometimes we can think that you know, that our existence is an idyllic one. And fail to realize that Golos, of course, is an onesh. That's one of the lessons of David Nirza. To realize the need to do tshuva. And even though that we don't experience necessarily the types of crushing Yisurim that others did in different societies and different climates, but nonetheless, to realize Hashem, that there is that obligation and that commitment that we have. And what if you assume the other reason? The reason for Ritziah is Kili Bnei Yisrael Avadim. The ear is pierced because a person decided to be Kona Adon to acquire a master, to sell himself into slavery. And the obvious difficulty then of the timing, why is that now? Why wasn't that years ago? Perhaps the answer is the following. Originally, why is it that that person sold himself as a slave? The Torah provides us with answer. Because the person was desperate. The person did not feel that he had a place in society. A 
person felt that he was not thriving, he was not flourishing, and therefore out of despair, out of desperation, a person sold himself as a slave. That's not ideal. That's not an appropriate response. But yet the Torah tells us it's understandable how a person in a state of despair can respond in that fashion. He serves as a slave. And now the sentence is up. The Abdus has come to an end. And he decides to continue. But why? No longer out of despair. Ahavti, Esadoni, Ishi, Chavshi. All of a sudden he opts to become an Eved, not Kiyamu Chachicha, but all of a sudden an Eved Me'ava. Because he loves that existence. An Eved who expresses Ava. That encroaches on our relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. The fact that a person can choose to become an Eved Kiyamu Chachicha, when faced with frightening desperation, despair, that is not a violation of Kilibne Yisrael but the notion of Avinu Malkeinu, the notion of Im Kebanim Im Ka'avadim, the person can be an Eved as a function of Ava, that is uniquely true with our relationship to Akarish Baruch Hu. If one does so, Ahavti Asadoni, that's what the Torah tells us, that is a breach, a violation of Kili Bnei Yisrael Avadim, Velo Avadim Avadim. The Gemara tells us in Shabbos Nafpeches that how is it that we are avadim to Hakadosh Baruch Hu? The Gemara tells us Nasevenishma, right? And Eved simply says, whatever it is that I am asked, I will do, without questioning, without thinking. That is my most immediate response. Nase and then Nishma. The Svara writes in that pasuk of Nasevenishma, Eved Hamishamish Asarav Shlomanas Bakabel Pras. That's what an Eved does. It doesn't exercise that same measure of Bechira, but rather immediately listens to the Dvar Hashem. Rashi comments, Shabbos and Dav Peches, Nasev and Ishma, Kiderech HaOsim Me'ava, Rashi writes. That's true Ava. A person will do without questioning. That is the unique relationship that we have with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. This, Rav HaShawais explained, is the balance of Avinu Malkeinu. To reach out to HaKadosh Baruch Hu is an Av who will do anything for their child. To acknowledge that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is the Melech who is all-powerful, who is capable of granting every request. This is how we relate to HaKadosh Baruch Hu at this particular time of year. And if that is the case, when one reaches out to Avinu Malkeinu, it is not only a fearful time of trepidation, but rather it elicits a great sense of simcha. This is what Rish Lakish tells us, the Gemara Nyuman Daf that Gedol Tshuva, Shezadonos Nasalo Kishkagos, that strength of Tshuva is manifest, that it can take a transgression that was done intentionally bemazed and convert it to that was glossed over as though it was inadvertent, as though it was unintentional. Where do you see this is true? We just read the Haftarah Shabbat Shuva. Shuva Yisrael, Ad Hashem Elokecha, why? Ki chashalta ba'avonecha. Chashalta means you have stumbled, you have tripped. Tripping, stumbling is something you do accidentally. Avonecha means a person who purposely transgresses b'mezid. 
Chashalta ba'avonecha. Rishlakish says, an avera that was done b'mezid is transformed, is converted into an avera which is now b'shalgein. Shuvu Yisrael ad Hashem lakecha ki chashalta ba'avonecha. And then Rishlakish tells us an even greater chiddush: that gedol b'tshuva shezadonos nasalo kizuchuyos. Tshuva is able to convert an avera not merely into that which was done inadvertently, b'shogeg, but rather into a mitzvah. Conversion of a chait to a mitzvah. The Gemara says, which is it? Is it mezit to shogeg, avera to mitzvah? The Gemara answers, there are two different types of tshuva. Kan me'ava and kan me'ira. Tshuva can be motivated by yira. A person simply is afraid of consequence. That shuva is meaningful. That will have the impact, the effect of zedonos nashlo kishagagos, conversion of that which is done intentionally to that which was done accidentally. But yet shuva meyava, reaching out to a baruch Hu as an evid who loves his master ava, that is gedolat shuva says zedonos nashlo kizuchuyos. Then it becomes a mitzvah. If a person would grant you that opportunity, Zedonos, Nasuslo, Kizuchuyos, would that elicit a sense of fear, of trepidation, or would that give rise to a great sense of simcha? On the day that one is afforded that opportunity, would you recite the brach of Shechiano? Absolutely. Would you try to welcome the day, even Mibod Yom, even before sunset or nightfall? Of course. Because isn't that our mission? of Zdonos Nasalo Kizuchuyos to be able to engage in that process of tshuva. Tshuva is an awesome responsibility, but yet it's an opportunity that one cannot lose. The Vonagon comments that everyone is obligated during this time to make his own personal cheshbon hanefesh. Din the cheshbon. Din means the following. That the person has to tally and assess what it is that he has done, how it is that he can rectify Cheshbon means the following that Gon writes. All of the effort that a person went through, all of the time and all of the planning, to do that which somehow the Torah tells us is not at all ideal, all of the effort that went into Avera, imagine if that same effort was channeled for the purpose of mitzvah. Every time a person falls short of the mark, truth is necessary not simply because of that act, but rather based on the realization of what could have been accomplished otherwise. If a person would have utilized that same time, that same effort, the gifts that HaKadosh Baruch Hu gives us and utilize it for the purposes of Asay Tov, in such a case, that is also something that we acknowledge during this day of Yom HaKippurim. And therefore we understand very well the balance, those elements of Simcha and Din, we understand why it's necessary to blow a shvarim trua, the seriousness of the day, taking advantage of this opportunity, but to make sure that it's surrounded on either end by the tkia of simcha. And as you know, the Gemara tells us, you can never blow a shvarim or a trua by itself. It always has to be surrounded by a tkia in order to emphasize that idea that the Amos Hadin must always be enveloped, surrounded by elements of Simcha as well. The Rashba points out that this really is not only unique to Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, 
But really this is true of our relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. When we think of HaKadosh Baruch Hu as one who is so close, it evokes a sense of love in Midas HaRachamim. When we think of HaKadosh Baruch Hu as being the Almighty, it creates a void, a distance. It evokes a Midas Adin. The Rashba points out every time we recite a bracha, we acknowledge these two elements, the complexity of our relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. We begin the bracha, Baruch Ata. We speak to HaKadosh Baruch Hu in second person as you, with a very familiar tone. We refer to HaKadosh Baruch Hu by name. And then the bracha shifts from the familiar Ata to referring to HaKadosh Baruch Hu by name in third person, Hashem Elokeinu, Asher Kirishano, in the passive. Why is it that the bracha shifts in that fashion? Rashba writes in Perakei of the Tshuvas, the following Chiddush. This is our relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. When we realize HaKadosh Baruch Hu is the Adon HaKol, so then it elicits that sense of reverence, a sense of Yira, but also a sense of void, that the gap between ourselves and HaKadosh Baruch Hu almost seems insurmountable. But yet, we also speak to HaKadosh Baruch Hu in the most familiar terms of Baruch Atah. We speak to HaKadosh Baruch Hu Kirachim Avodbanim as though He is awaiting for us to call out to Him. And therefore that gives rise to the elements of Simcha. In Chesinach writes a fascinating idea. The Gemara tells us in the very end of Yuma that sometimes Tshuva is not enough. Tshuva is necessary but sometimes it's not sufficient. Tshuva sometimes requires Yom Kippur sometimes requires Yisurim Sometimes even Misa is necessary to serve as a kapara. That is what we refer to as Dalit Chalukei Kapara. Mechassinov suggests that it's only true when it comes to the very base level of tshuva. Tshuva Meira. But if a person is motivated by true Ava Sashem, Tshuva Me'ava, in such a case, nothing more is necessary. Is the donos Nasalo Kizuchuyas? If an Avera is converted and transformed into a mitzvah, so in such a case, nothing more is required, rather than the tahara of tshuva, of lifnei Hashem titaru. And this seems to be true based on the Yerushalmi as well. The Yerushalmi writes in the second parak of Mesechus Makos, V'sha'alu l'chachma sh'alu nevua chotem The Nevi'im were asked, if a person sins, what is the punishment? The Nevi'im answered, V'nefesh l'otasi tamus. The onish that the Torah prescribes. Sometimes the Torah speaks of onish in very severe terms. But Yushami continues, Shalala Kudshabrichu, but a Karashbarhu was asked. Chotemaonshaw, and the answer is Yase Chuva Vis Kapilo. Chuva is sufficient. Even though we're dealing with Avero Sachamuros, nonetheless Chuva itself is able to secure Kapara. This is Chuva Mayahava. When a person can seize the opportunity of Dirshu Hashem B'Matzah to be able to realize the significance of this day, then that is something that we embrace and we anticipate and we yearn to experience. Lifnei Hashem Titara. One of the great vehicles and gifts that Karash Baruch Hu gives us is not only the gift of Tshuva, but the concept of Tzibor. When it comes to Yom Kippur, so much of Avodas Yom Kippurim is not what we do individually, but rather what all of Klal Yisrael does collectively. 
There is tshuva of Klal Yisrael and the Tzibur as a whole. When you have a Beis Amikdash, the Karban, for example, the Sar Lashem, Sar Lazazel is offered on behalf of all of Klal Yisrael. And even without the requisite Avodah in Beis Amikdash, but nonetheless, one must realize during this time, especially on Yom Kippur, that one is not in this alone. This is not something that we do as individuals, but rather we band together as a tzibur, and in that schus, we're able to secure kapara. You know we recite vidui, alchet, ashamnu, at various times of the day. We do so in our silent shmonesrei. Alchet, avinu, malkeinu, we recite ashamnu, bogadnu, and we do so in the chazara sashas. It indicates that there are two different types of vidui. There is the vidui, a confession that we experience and we recite individually. But then we repeat it as an entire tzibur. To do so as a tzibur, that invokes great rachamei shamayim. Even above and beyond what we can do individually, and certainly the whole far outweighs the sum of its parts. There's a concept of the unity, the collectivity of Knesset Yisrael. Not merely of individuals who band together, but rather the tzibur, the unit of Knesset Yisrael. The Ram doesn't really speak about tefillah bitzibur, that everyone davens together in the host of the tzibur, but rather the tefillahs hatzibur, the collective entity of the tzibur as a whole. You know, when a person recites al-chayt or al-shamnon it evokes tears. It's a crushing experience we doing. And yet, the Minig Yisrael throughout generations, and I'm sure in many, many shows that you've experienced, somehow in the Chazar Sashats, Al-Chait, Ashamna Bagadnu, is sung together as a tzibur. At first glance, it seems somewhat odd that you sing Ashamna Bagadnu, that you should sing Al-Chait. The answer is that balance. A Yachid breaks down the Quran before HaKadosh Baruch Hu and wouldn't think of singing in his Shmon Esrei But when you realize the uniqueness of the Tzibur how unique we are as a people to be able to celebrate a day of judgment that evokes that form of Simcha even when it comes to the Vidui itself. The notion of Tzibur is not merely a privilege that each one of us have to be part of the collective unit of Knesset Yisrael, but also it is an awesome responsibility. Being part of its Sibur means, the language the Ritva uses in Rosh Hashanah of is that all of Klal Yisrael is considered to be, literally speaking, Kiguf Echad, a single unit. Is that really true? Do we view all others as part of ourselves? When a friend of ours experiences a difficulty in a sara, or when a person experiences great simcha, do we merely empathize with that individual, or do we celebrate or mourn with them as though that we are the ones who experience that? That is the challenge of Gufecha, that all of Knesset Yisrael is considered to be a single unit. Now there is an amazing story that Tulsus quotes, it's found in Menachos and Daf Lamed Zayin Amad Aleph, and the Shitu Kubetz is printed in that Daf and Os Yirches. Tosos writes the following: Shlomo Hamelech, the Chacham Mikaladam, was faced with the following dindur. A person died, and he had several children, 
And it was necessary to divide the estate. And one son walked in, looked perfectly normal. Another son walked in. It was an individual similar to a Siamese twin that had two heads. That was the instant before Shlomach. And what was the Dintorah, strictly speaking, in terms of Dinimamanos? The two headed being claimed that they were two individuals. They were entitled to Pishnaim. Another brother claims, certainly not. You're a single brother. You're entitled to a single share as I receive. Shlomo had to determine, is this Guf Echad or is this Shnei Gufim? One individual or two different entities? So Tosus writes, Menachos Lama Zayin Amad did the following. He took a cloth and he draped it over one of the heads and he took a little bit of hot water and poured it over the other head. And Shlomo Melech waited to see who would respond? Who would cry out when it experienced pain? If the head that was covered would cry out, that was an indicator that it was Gufechad. And if not, Shlomo determined that was Shnei Gufim. That was his test of determining Gufechad or Shnei Gufim. The Medrash tells us Shlomo did so, and the individuals whose head was covered cried out. And in such a case, Shlomo Paskin to Salacha, you're entitled to a single share. That was the Psakalach of Shlomo Melech in terms of Dinim Amanos. But on a broader level, that's the essence of Guf Echad. When one member of Knesset Yisrael experiences pain, how is it that we respond? And even if it's sometimes that our head is covered, and it's not something that we are so acutely aware of, but nonetheless, what is our response? Is it from a distance? Or is it one that we directly can experience the pain of that individual? When a person experiences great simcha, do we celebrate with him at a distance? Or somehow is it part of our own celebration as well? That is the measure of Guf Echad. The Ritva writes, when the Gemara teaches us, Rosh Hashanah Chavtes, Kol Yisrael Arevim Zebazeh, that there is that concept of communal responsibility. The Ritva writes, that means that all of Knesset Yisrael is considered to be Kiguf Echad. And that is an awesome challenge for the time of Yom HaKippurim and beyond. To realize the relationship of each one of us in order to sense that each member of Klai Yisrael is responsible for his fellow Jew and the significance of what it means to be Gufechad in the most embracing and the most comprehensive sense. One of the tefillos that we recite during Ni'ilah, the climax of Yom HaKippurim, is Yach Bi'eni B'Tzel Yada. We beseech HaKadosh Baruch Hu that He should reach out to us. Literally, that He should embrace us with the shade, with the covering of His hand. Yach Bi'eni B'Tzel Yada. We should be chavuya betzel. We should find ourselves under the divine protection, the nani hakavod, of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. This image that we invoke at Ne'ilah certainly gives rise to the image of a sukkah, where a person can be surrounded by what seems physically to be a dira sarai, something which is flimsy, but at the same time to realize that this is the ultimate Destiny to be chavuya b'tzel yada, to be under the shade of anani akavod, under the embrace of Hakadosh Baruch Hu. Or Shlomo Zalman wrote the fascinating image that you know when a person embraces, a person has a single part of the upper arm, the lower arm, 
and then the hand. What are these joints supposed to represent? Rishlamo Zalman said that's the image of the defanos of the sukkah. A kosher sukkah has to have two complete defanos, and shlishis, the third, is a tefach. That represents the hand of the individual. When we're mispalat to Hakadosh Baruch Hu Yom Kippur, Yachpi Eni Bitzel Yodel, that means Hakadosh Baruch Hu, you should embrace us as we celebrate during the time of sukkahs. Why does a sukkah have kedusha? What is so special about a sukkah? One could argue it's hooked to mitzvasa. Anything that's used for the purpose of a mitzvah is not supposed to be used for other mundane purposes. This is true of lulav. This is true of esrog. But as you know, the Gemara tells us in Sukkah and Daftes. The Kedush of Sukkah is far beyond that. Chag HaSukkahs Keshem Shechal Shem Shamayim Allah Sukkah Chal Shem Shamayim Allah Chagiga Sukkah represents Chal Shem Shamayim It's as though that we are protected by the embrace of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. You know the Gemara tells us that the Shekhinah is above ten Tvachim That already is the Shamayim And the Defanos of the Sukkah have to be ten Tvachim tall we build those two plus defanos of the sukkah, the walls of the sukkah, which may look to a bystander as being a diras arai, but ultimately for us, this is considered to be the true diras keva of yachbi eni b'tzayada, that we will experience that embrace of Akarish Baruch Hu. This is what is so critical, and this is the relationship between Yom Kippur and sukkahs. In the Shachachma comments, we recently read. The mitzvah of Hakel, the timing of Hakel also, seems somewhat unusual. Immediately after the Shemitah year, all of B'nai Yisrael return to Yerushalayim to hear Sefer Dvarim being read, and the Meshachachm is bothered again by an obvious difficulty. You live in an agricultural society. Shemitah is a time that no one works. It's a year to devote oneself to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. The entire year is spent of a person immersing himself in the Torah session. The year comes to an end, and now a person finally gets back right to his regular routine, to his business, and all of a sudden he's asked to go back to Shalayim. And here the Melech reads, Sefer Dvarim. The timing seems unusual. A person takes a sabbatical, and then after a few days, now a person asks for a new vacation to leave his business and to return to Yerushalayim. Why is this so critical? And why is it that Hakel immediately follows the Shemitah year? The answer that Meshachachma writes is the lesson of integration. You could make the following mistake. You could think, you know, I took off a year. I dedicated myself to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Now that year is over. Now that job has been done. And now it's time to redirect. You're asked to go back to Yerushalayim. To make sure that you will integrate that lesson of the Shemitah year into all of the coming years until the next Shviyas. It's not coincidental at all that Hakel is during Sukkot. Because we experience Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur is Kul Hashem. Yom Kippur is the time that hopefully we put our best foot forward. We beseech HaKadosh Baruch Hu for Mechila Slicho Kapara. And you know, Yom Kippur comes to an end and somehow with the passage of time, even a few days, all of those commitments and those resolutions seem to be part of the distant past, not part of the future that awaits us. And immediately the Torah tells us, just as you've begun your regular routine those few days after Yom HaKippurim, you have to leave your home. 
You have to go back in the Tzelsoka. You have to realize that ultimately, everything in life is a diras arai. The only confidence that we truly have is placing our munabitachon in HaKadosh Baruch Hu. That's what we do during Sukkot. And the lesson of that interplay is one of integration. You might think if Kiva Sukkot isn't it more fitting to celebrate Sukkot and Nisan? And the answer is no. It's the aftermath of Yom HaKippurim. To realize that the pinnacle and plateaus that we reached at this day cannot end at that moment. The Tkir Shofar at the end of Nila is only the beginning. The beginning of integration, the beginning of renewal. To be able to now assimilate that knowledge. To be able to take what we learned during Yom HaKippurim and to allow that to be integrated into our day-to-day life. The challenge is one of Yom Kippur, but also the aftermath of Yom HaKippurim. The relationship between Yachbi Eini Mitzayado of Ne'ilah and Kivasako Soshafti. This is what we experience on Yom Kippur. And this is why Yom Kippur is such a great day of simcha, the opportunity in the very literal sense of Lifnei Hashem Titara. Or one cannot be an Avil on Yom Kippur. One is filled with a sense of simcha, realizing the privilege and responsibility of being a Ben of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, but also being an Eved. Relating to HaKadosh Baruch Hu as Avinu, but also recognizing the awesome nature of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Recognizing as the Rashba writes, Nebracha Baruch but also the Hashem Elokeinu, the majesty this is our mandate, this is our challenge during this time of Yom HaKippurim, which will shortly arrive, to be able to realize and rise to this opportunity of Lifnei Hashem Titaro. Each one of you should be Zoha to be able to experience this sense of Kedusha Sayyam, to be able to utilize this day of one that represents true Tara, and the challenge of its aftermath is to inculcate, to be able to diffuse these values that we experience on Yom Kippur and to integrate them into everyday life. To realize everything that occurs to us is a result of the Yad Hashem. And ultimately, that is who we place our Munabitacham. Our greatest privilege is to be an Eved. Not an Eved Machmas dochak out of desperation, but an Eved who serves his master with the trust of true Ava. Bezras Hashem, we should all be Zohar. That even though right now, as mentioned, we experience Golos, we know in Eretz Yisrael the difficulties that Achenu Shebert Yisrael face, the experiences that we also undergo living in a plight of Golos, but to realize that ultimately, any goodness that we experience is simply chaste Hashem, just a taste of Bezras Hashem what awaits us in the time of Biyas We should be zolcha that that day will be soon in its coming. And Bezras Hashem, we should be able to celebrate Yom HaKippurim in a spirit of Gula Shlema, in a time of Beis HaMikdash, witnessing the Gilu Shrina, witnessing the Kohen Gadol doing the Avoda in the most pristine fashion, Bimheir of Yaminu.